Lockie Stewart is a men's coach who's a big believer in the whole package of health. Because I truly believe we all have immense potential, and I know that's a cliche, but it's the more you can keep learning and implementing and testing and failing and moving forward, it's, it's addictive. He's all about conditioning the mind and body in equal measure and preaches you can't have one without the other. Lockie's been through his fair share of adversity and has done a lot of work to transform himself from a lost and angry young man to a self-assured leader. If I was labelled as the loosest guy, the guy who was going to take the most drugs or drink the most booze or sleep with the most women, I was getting that recognition I was desperately craving. He's the founder of The Man That Can Project, which includes a podcast that he hosts, as well as men's circles and workshops designed to help men become the best versions of themselves. I'm very open about my past. Lockie is brave enough to be totally honest about the demons in his past and what he had to go through to become the man he is today. And that transparency is what enables him to help so many others. I was just hanging around with the same people who fed my bullshit beliefs, which kept me stuck and it also kept them stuck. I feel I can really relate to Lockie's story and there's a good chance you will too. If you've ever been in a hole wondering how you're going to pull yourself out of it, this is the guy to listen to. Welcome to Young Blood, a podcast all about young men's health. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our mission to talk about the stuff that matters and isn't talked about enough. Let's do it. So you um, it was set on a pro rugby career at one point. Yeah, like uh, a lot of young boys or men and lads in country towns and definitely in Queensland. I was trying to make rugby league or rugby union. I didn't really care as long as I got to that, that big stage was the goal. Uh, when that didn't happen, what did that mean for you? It was a slap in the face because I didn't really have a plan B. I, I didn't want to do a trade. I definitely didn't want to do university. Uh, and I chucked away an athletics career as well. So when that didn't happen, I went through you know, that whole realization of or <laughs> understanding. I was like, who the hell am I? So I had to start figuring out who I was, which was a, a long process and one that I really didn't want to want to start doing. So I did what a lot of people that I grew up around doing started using drugs, recreational drugs, and sort of trying to numb those feelings and numb that understanding that it might be the end of the road with alcohol. So that was sort of the, the downfall. And I, yeah, from that process, I just started doing all kinds of odd jobs. If I didn't like it, I moved on. So that was probably a blessing in disguise, that to be fair. How did you used to feel about yourself as a man at that time? Like a failure, because my, how I was defining myself as being successful was to make it on the big stage. And you know, I was chasing recognition. I was chasing the fame. I was chasing the achievement of everything that I thought being a professional rugby player could give me. And when that was taken away from me, I didn't see myself being able to get it in any other aspect of life. Right. And you know, I felt that, you know, the, the women that I got and all the success that I had come would had been as a result of me pursuing pursuing rugby. And then when that was taken away, I didn't I couldn't understand how I was going to create anything else from my life because I just didn't see any value in myself aside from being an athlete. And what about the people around you at that time? Did they kind of feed that? Did you feel like you got less recognition and that perhaps, you know, some people who were showing interest in your life dropped away when they realized you weren't going to make it? Yeah, I think uh Definitely people, you know, and I, I think I still have traits of that to this day where I sort of go in and out of relationships. I have a really close-knit group of friends, but then I have a lot of acquaintances. But definitely uh, I stopped getting as much recognition from people because obviously I wasn't, you know, competing and I wasn't achieving as much. So there was probably not as much reason 
for people to give me that recognition as well. But, you know, I think I craved it. It was something that validated my self-worth. And every time I got it and I had got it from a young age, I was like, yes, I'm, I'm worth something today. I'm going to go back and do more of that. And then when I didn't have an outlet to, to achieve that and for people to give me recognition, it started sort of, I, I, I was creating other ways in my life to get that same feeling. And unfortunately, it wasn't positive, positive things in my life. And how old were you at that point? Uh, that was sort of 21, kicking on. And then I think I was, yeah, no, it would have been 21. And so how were you living then at that time? Like you, you touched on it before, but what what were you doing? What were you spending your time on, you know, that was negative? Drugs, alcohol. And I, I, when I think about I don't think my story is super unique in the fact that, you know, a lot of people that I grew up around were doing very similar things. Uh, but, you know, deep down in my stomach, I was like, I'm better than this. i got more to do. But my life sort of consisted of, going to a job that I hated. I would then go to the weekend and try and be the best partier because if I was the, you know, labeled as the loosest guy, the guy who was going to take the most drugs or drink the most booze or sleep with the most women, I was getting that recognition I was desperately craving. So from, you know, whether it was from, at one point it was from Wednesday through to Sunday and then, you know, I was partying and I was just trying to constantly be that wild guy and that also gave me comfort in the fact that I'd failed at sport. It was almost like a, slap back in the face and say, well, I don't even give a shit about sport. You know, I'm here to party and here to do what every other 21-year-old's doing. Yeah, because you thought you wanted you wanted the girls and you wanted the attention and you wanted the party lifestyle probably to come along with playing rugby. And so you thought, well, you know, yeah, almost in a, a pessimistic sort of way, I can't have the actual career, but I'll have, I'll have this stuff anyway. Yeah, exactly. And in, in a way, it sort of gave me the things that I thought were attached, yeah, like you just mentioned, were attached to being a high-profile footy player because I think, you know, the way I viewed them was like they were on the TV, everyone was loving the, the footy players and I was like, I want to be that guy. I want to have everyone loving me and talking about me and idolizing me and wanting to grow up like me. That's that's what I was craving. And so did you feel like that made you a man? Like you needed to be that to be what you considered a man? 100%. Definitely, I, I didn't see any other way. Like I thought, if I was just going to be a you know, study and do do whatever I chose to study or be a tradie, like my perception of it was that was that I'd failed, and you know, so I didn't want, didn't want to go down that route. But even though when the footy didn't work out, I still thought I was better than going to university and also doing a trade at that point in my in my life because it just wasn't matching up to the man that I thought I could be or should be. I know you're big on values. What were your values at that time, do you reckon? Oh, definitely recognition. I think um, success, uh, fame. I think I just valued, I just wanted to be seen. I think that was, that was, I was just driven purely by ego, everything that I wanted to. And I think, you know, deep down, I love the challenge of, of, you know, the preparation and competing. I definitely enjoyed that. But I think a lot of what destroyed me in the end when it, when I didn't make it was my ego and was understand uh, everything I needed and wanted. I was trying to get from other people and external validation and because I couldn't get it from within, it destroyed me. Yeah. And so what did that do to your soul? Do you feel, uh, when you were living that way, uh, did it give you what you wanted or did it seem pretty hollow throughout? Hollow, hundred percent hollow. Like I think at the time, you know, I think, when I was partying at the time, I was like, this is so much fun. Like, you know, you have, you feel when you're drunk or you're having some good conversations, a few laughs, or you go home with a nice lady and you're like, this is unreal. And then the next morning I'd 
wake up and you just have that empty pit in your belly and you're like, is this literally all I am? Like the same thing week in, week out. Like, don't get me wrong. I loved, loved that, that the partying at the time. Mm. But thinking, thinking, what am I actually doing though? Yeah. I just, I just deep down felt like I had more to give and I was ignoring that. I didn't, wasn't quite sure where to start or what to do. So because I didn't, yeah, I didn't have a network around me or people around me who challenged me or questioned me to think differently. They were sort of along, you know, doing the same things. So I just kept in that vicious cycle or what I'd call a vicious cycle where I'd enjoy that moment. The next one I go, shit, starting the same thing again. And I was just, you know, hating deep down, I was hating life. Yeah. And it's very hard to get out of that when your close circle um, and your extended circles you know, justifying it for you by going out and doing the same things and you're, you're part of that group and you just get more and more confirmation bias and reinforcement that, yeah, that's the right thing to do and, well, I can't think of anything else that would be better than doing this, so I guess this is the, the option for me to take. Exactly, and you, you're with the boys, you're like, yeah, this is unreal, like we've grown up with these guys, um, we're doing the same thing, that's what all the story is about is what, who did what over the weekend and yeah. if I hadn't gone out on a weekend, I didn't feel like I fit in on the Monday, I couldn't have the have the conversations with everyone because I hadn't done anything that was you know worth yeah. boasting about or, or talking yeah, about. It was all just macho bullshit though. 100%. It was literally just, you know, I speak about it with my mates now, it's like we're all just in a place where we didn't know any better and the moment that, you know, I always speak about this at uh, men's circles and stuff. It's like I, I was craving something like that, you know, five, six years ago because people who I saw as successful, whether they were footy players or whether they were a high end lawyer or doctor, I didn't have access to people like that. Like I didn't have that in my life to be able to ask them questions and or have them give me feedback. I was just hanging around with the same people who fed my bullshit beliefs, which kept me stuck and it also kept them stuck. Yeah, which is all right for a time, but. It's also easy, like it's very easy to go back to that same habit, get the quick high, which you can get from, you know, taking a drug or getting pissed. It doesn't take much effort, whereas making an impact uh, and actually, you know, learning a skill or helping someone else, it's it's a much longer road, but obviously one that's a lot more um, satisfying. Definitely a lot more satisfying. And it's, it's confrontational, but I think once you get that first, for me, once I got that first taste of growth, um, and realized that I could actually learn things that were in a different area of, that I was interested in. That's when I became addicted to it because, yeah, before that it was just like the same vicious cycle. But when I started realizing, hey, I read a book and I learned this, I want to, what's the next piece of information I can learn and implement into my life to, to change it a little bit. And how long were you wallowing in that before you got to that point? <laughs> Years. I think, um, you know, from the moment I was 18 when I had, had my first crack and then I went back to my hometown Toowoomba and then kicked around. Then I went over to France to play, came back and did the same thing. So I was probably like 23 by the time I sort of started realizing that things could be different and I could actually take control and ownership of the direction of my life. Mm. How do you actually um, get away from it though? Because uh, I mean, I relate to you on a lot of levels with this exact thing. Like there's a, there's a pretty strong seductive pull to it because one it's what you know and you know it can give you that cheap high and then you also have to replace it with something like if you're spending a lot of your time and energy going out and getting fucked up if you stop doing that you're going to have a lot of spare time and you're going to need to replace it with something that's actually more satisfying than what you were doing 
hundred percent. Oh, it's exactly that. The moment you get a whole heap of spare time, then you're left alone with your thoughts. And at that point in my life, my thoughts about myself and what was going on in my head wasn't very uh, enjoyable to be around. So that's why I tried to, I think, a lot of the time numb that, numb those thought processes. So for me, it was starting to read. Was introduced to podcasts. I even I hope a lot of people listen to this. Like just changing what went into my brain um, was massive for me and learning to be okay with being around by myself. But, you know, the moment it changed for me, I had a had an incident and that was the moment where I was like, I need to stop drinking. I really need to pull the pin because things could get a whole heap worse than they are right now. And I was fortunate I came to Brisbane and I met my now partner and that was sort of for me like that, that lifeline where I was like, this is a you know opportunity for me to recreate who I am without having people knowing my past and, you know, I'm very open about my past, but, um, you know, for me to rebuild myself and decide who I wanted to be and uh, I'm obsessed with learning and growing and challenging my beliefs now and it's it's always that. The moment that I start having more negative thoughts again, which I still go through that, I start questioning what what's wrong in my life at the moment that is leading me to have those thoughts and how can I start shifting them. And so getting some control over your emotional state, doing that reading, you know, making sure you are learning and upskilling and then a, a positive relationship, would you say those were the keys to, you know, a better feeling than being on drugs or, or the, the cheap, easy stuff that you used to do? Did you find that more satisfying as a lifestyle? Uh, 100%. That's, yeah, definitely. I think people look at me at the moment even and because I'm, I'm so – obsessed with growing and learning and I, I'm a really active person and I, I to me when people go out drinking like don't get me wrong I love having a few beers and I still enjoy that but I'm always thinking right if what's this going to take away from tomorrow it's almost like borrowed time if I'm hungover mm-hmm. and I love uh, getting up early and you know t- making the most of my day so if I'm going to have a, a blowout which I you know probably do once or twice a year I'll, I'll plan that in yeah but I don't want to take, take away that time because it's just I'm so addicted to what I can learn and then implement and the result that it can create for me. Whereas when I was drinking and getting drugs, I was doing the exact same thing. It was like, what can I implement or slash drink or, mm. you know, consume that's going to give me a, a, a result that makes me stop feeling shitty. Yeah. But it's all about like what's going to get me away from life so I don't have to think about it compared to yeah. what's going to actually hook me in and engage me more and, and allow me to be more involved in, in what I want to do. Definitely. That's exactly it. And I think the thing with another big motivator for getting out of that um, phase of life is realizing that you can't help anyone while you're like that. Like if you aren't in control of yourself and you're constantly hungover or coming down or just out of it, you're not in a position to help anyone. You're just – all you can do is – well, you know, dull yourself out or think that you're having a good time, but you you can't actually contribute. Exactly. And it, it's not a, and you know, that that puts you in that mind or used to put me in that mindset where I was like, well, I'm of no value anyway. I can't even, you know, add value anyway because I'm feeling shit right now. My thoughts aren't very good and those come downs aren't the best thing. So it's like you just on repeat with that vicious cycle rather than, you know, sacrificing a few what you would perceive as fun weekends out partying to get yourself in a good headspace where you're starting, you know, people go through this routine all the time. Once they've got a few weeks of fitness under their, their belt or they're starting to do some, make some positive changes in their life, they're like, I don't even feel like drinking anymore. Life's actually good. Mm. And, you know, getting to that point for myself was, was a game changer. And now it's sort of like 
I'm so aware of that that I don't want to fall back. I want to keep creating. I want to keep growing, and I want to you know see what we're we're truly capable of because I truly believe we all have immense potential. And I know that's cliche, but it's the more you can keep learning and implementing and testing and failing and moving forward, it's it's addictive. That's what you have to replace it with. It seems like you have to get used to and and be thankful for the feeling of being sharp and um you know having a having a mission having a purpose feeling physically and mentally well and then convince yourself that yeah that's actually much better than a, a more extreme high that's very fleeting and then a a crashing come down afterwards definitely definitely and i think you you nailed it there where people try to find a mission and a purpose and for a lot of people, and if you would ask me five years ago what my purpose was, it was just to stop feeling shitty. And then once I started to stop feeling shitty, it was like, right, I, what's, you know, maybe read a book once a month or maybe you know, my, my next goal was to speak on stage. I had no idea what it was going to be about, but I just was so excited from what I was learning that I was like, okay, you know, that's what I feel my purpose is, is to help men who are like I was grow from that. And then you keep refining it by asking yourself questions. And as you grow, you ask again, you say, what? is my purpose today. And it might be just literally, you know, if I'm having a down day, my, my purpose today is just to get back in a good mood or, you know, to go for a walk and listen to a podcast. It doesn't have to always be this big grand thing that people feel they need to have. Mm. One step at a time. Yeah. Um, and then with your, with your coaching um, and fitness, were you initially a personal trainer and then from there you expanded into also coaching people about, you know, your mind and, and mental health as well? How, how did that go? Yeah, that was that was how it was. So I first studied like my PT set three and set four when I was you know first finished school um, and was playing footy, and then you know I started sharing. It was about twenty fourteen. I started sharing my journey because as I, as I mentioned, when I started reading and listening to podcasts, I was so excited by what I was learning. Like it was to me, it was groundbreaking shit, and I thought everyone had to hear it. So I, if you scroll back on my Instagram, the journey is there from when I couldn't really communicate well. And I was a mumbler and I, you know, was just still so excited and I was sharing all this stuff. And over time, people started going, oh, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And I was like, no, nah, I'm just a PT. And I didn't like the idea of becoming a coach because I just, I don't even know why. I just had had that mindset. You just thought it was wanky or you, you, you had yeah. a certain idea of what it was and you didn't think that yeah. was you? Yeah, I was like, I don't want to be fucking Tony Robbins. Like, I just want to be me. Like, and I'm still still figuring it out for myself. Yeah. What did you realize, though, about the um, the connection between body and mind? Oh, well, your physiology affects your psychology and vice versa. Like when I stopped training, which I did for for a while after footy, like that's when I felt worse. For me, you know, getting back in the gym or just any movement routine, it, one made me feel good, but it gave me a bit of purpose and structure for the day. It was like only I had to do one thing for day and was move my body. I would then leave the gym feeling super motivated and I felt like I'd grown in one aspect and I was like, well, Oh, that feels good. I'm seeing progress. Let's do this in another aspect. What role does fitness play like in your life now, like physical fitness? It's a it's a massive part. Like still one of my goals is to be an elite level athlete. Like, I think I've still got unfinished business. So I, I train quite hard with CrossFit, but I also know I'm a big believer that how fit I probably am at the moment isn't healthy for most people because I, I carry a lot of niggling injuries and I spend two, three hours a day training and mm. a lot of my time is focused on that. So even when I do wind down from that, I know that movement's going to be a huge aspect of my life, but it's going to be focusing on 
what's going to make me show up as best as I need to for the people that I'm helping, for my partner, for myself. So that is going to be a huge pillar because it's just my time where I get to switch off and challenge myself a little bit and grow and just maintain. Yeah. And I understand you on that level. I'm not into CrossFit, but I train every day, you know, either in the gym or um, doing Krav Maga as well, self-defense stuff. Um, and I've been doing, like I've been training for eight years um, and I agree, like on the days that I don't train because it's like I had to have a rest day or work's just too ridiculous and you do a 12-hour shift mentally. Yeah. I'm just, I'm so conscious of it and also conscious of not being obsessive about it to the point where it's, you know, not useful. But on the days that I don't train, I instantly think, oh man, I'm not going to be as sharp today or I'm not going to have a, the same sort of level of energy. And you really only sort of learn that and then end up kind of training for that more than anything, like training for the mental edge of it rather than like, obviously you want to maintain the physique that you've built, but it's mostly wanting to be as switched on as you can be. 100%. And that's why even like for me, when I have rest days, I still go for a walk and put a podcast in. Like I still feel or stretch or yoga. Like I just feel the need to move my body. I know that if I move my body, like I just feel phenomenal and it doesn't have like on those rest days, it might be 10, 15 minutes, but it makes a huge impact. Like if, if I don't train, I don't feel good at all. And I just, I, it has that negative ripple effect throughout my day. And that's, so that's a choice, like a conscious choice for me to make sure every day it's like, either doing my specific training for my fitness goals or I'm moving my body to, you know, obviously it supports every other aspect, but it's just for that, that mental edge to know that I, you know, I feel confident and strong from moving. Mm. Yeah, no, I totally get you on that. What have you noticed a lot of men have in common in terms of insecurity and, and the image that they put forward? Yeah, a lot of us are wearing masks. A lot of us are self-conscious where we have that fear of judgment. We have that, you know, that idea that we need to act and be a certain way in society and if we're not doing that where we don't feel worthy enough we don't feel like we're a man so i think you know those are some of the commonalities with a lot of men so it's you know trying to help them redefine who they are and where they got those beliefs and standards from so they can build their own and then live their life off the back of that rather than just going oh this is what i grew up believing i've never actually questioned that and i don't fucking agree with that so let's change that. In your experience, how difficult is it to make that change for the guys that you work with? Like, is it as simple as like a light switch moment where they go, oh, I hadn't thought of it like that? Or do they really need to sort of recondition their thinking over a period of months or years? I think it's, it's if the men are willing to change, which most of them, I think most men are at this point that I work with anyway, it's, it's literally that light switch moment. But then helping them implement routines and rituals or habits around that to support their new way of thinking because it's easy to you know, have that awareness we all do you know like for those who are even going to listen to this podcast it's like we just gave away some tips around fitness and help helps your psychology and then also you know listening uh, consuming positive content helps your, your mindset but then having the routines and rituals in place to do that on a daily basis is a different thing so mm. uh, obviously that then takes time but if if you can create that structure and teach the men discipline, like it's, it works seamlessly. Like I've, I've seen it time and time again. And the moment that men actually have that realization and can, they get excited by the fact that they can be their authentic self. Like it's, it's goes back to me six years ago when I first read the four agreements and I was like, wow, I, I just learned a few really cool things. And that for me was like, I can actually be my authentic self now because I see these pillars of change and I want to implement them. 
when did mental health become as much of a priority as physical health for you? When I was twenty, yeah, when I was twenty-three, like I, my, I grew up and my brothers, you know, been challenged with mental health issues, and I never really understood, and I didn't seek to understand what he was going through. I just thought he was soft and, you know, didn't know how to deal with things. Meanwhile, I was dealing with my own shit, but I was just getting through it. Uh, it was probably, you know, when I hit that rock bottom point, I was like, there's something not right with me, and I need to fix that, and then. As I started, you know, making those subtle changes, like reading a little bit more, then I started fixing up my diet. Then I got back into my fitness. I was like, I actually feel better as a result of this. And obviously, over the time, I haven't been this consistent over the last six years with everything. So when I've sort of dropped off on my nutrition, or I've dropped off on my sleep, or my personal development, or something like that, I've noticed changes in my moods. So for me, that's been like, right, well, these are foundational pillars that I need to prioritize daily in order to show up how I want to show up. Mm. Yeah, you really have to work on it, don't you? I mean, it's not surprising. It's the same as working on your your body. But yeah, if you if you let any of that slip, like you're, you're eating and uh, you're sleeping and your sort of lifestyle stuff, you, you really do notice the impact. And you, you've got to be so disciplined with keeping your mind right as well. Exactly, yeah. It's just like any area of focus. And I, I challenge people to to make it a priority because it's definitely easy to just get stuck into life where our main focus uh or my main focus was just trying to be be that footy player and i neglected everything else in my life and you know now since i started a business it was definitely easy to focus purely on the business and neglect my relationships and all those you know other aspects of my life but now i'm you know slowly learning it's like right i will you can still have success in areas but you still want that balance because at the end of the day you know i I'd love to have a successful business, but I still want to have a really thriving relationship. I want to have great health. I want to have great mental health. You know, I want to have all these things. I don't just want to reach the peak, you know, financially and then lose everything else to get there. So I think, you know, it's important to, um, that's why I check in every morning and go through my routine because it's like, right, what, what area is out of balance at the moment and how can I sort of fix that up a little bit? If you'd made it to the NRL when you were 21, would, would you be... Who you are today, Jerry? No way, no way, not a chance. I literally, I ask myself that all the time. I wonder what my life would have turned out like. And, and to be honest, like not having to go at NRL players, but you see a lot of, you know, they're always getting into trouble, off-field dramas in the off-season and stuff like that. And I'd say I probably would have turned out like that because I was easily influenced, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be liked and I wanted to stand out. So I think you know, it wouldn't have taken much for me to do the wrong things. But then I suppose when that's when that's all over and, um, you know, do you crash in a heap after that and then realize or do you never realize? I think I definitely would have. You'd probably see it time and time again with athletes. Now they eventually, you know, if they don't have something to move into next, they do lose their identity a bit. And they're like, well, I've been this guy for the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. Who am I now? And you've got to start, mm. start again. So at some point there does come that realization moment where, people and whether you do it you know i did it at 21 to 23 and some people might do it at 50 but it's like who am i outside of my job or you know my title whether it's i'm a dad i'm a i'm a football player i'm a lawyer whatever it is we we tend to become that rather than being like i'm lucky and i play rugby i'm lucky and i'm a coach you know so yeah these are things that i do it's not who i am yes exactly Mm. exactly you've had mates die by suicide and your brother was suicidal how's that affected you it's obviously not a not a fun thing to go through um, to understand, but I think it's really interesting. You know, 
depression and anxiety and all that sort of stuff. People at like seven and, you know, I saw on the news a couple of weeks ago, an 11-year-old died by suicide. I'm like, when I was that age, I didn't even know it was a thing. Like I was too busy watching cartoons. Yeah. And, you know, when my brother was going through it, I'd never understood and I, there was never any education on it. Like when I understood, I was just like, you're just, you know, doing this for attention. Like life can't be that bad because, you know, we've all got our own shit and, you know, I'm moving through it. Like just bottle it up and do it. And also that's how you've been, how you, um, well, not necessarily been taught by your parents, but that that's the lessons that you'd learn from our society. You, you'd taken on, and probably more so from the rugby culture was, um, as I've heard you talk about before, you know, the harden up approach. Yeah, exactly. You had to, had to be a man and you, do, you don't just move, like you carry on with it. You'll be right. Like that's a lot of people have done that and, you know, it hasn't ended well. Like uh, my, I was first exposed to suicide when I was, was it 2007 when one of a guy that I used to run with and even then I told told this story because I hadn't really spoken about that for a while and that affected me because I used to run with him and when I heard the story and I couldn't even talk to anyone about it and there was never really any support or anyone going are you are you doing okay with it and what I did to cope with that I you know it was on the front page of the the paper and I ripped that the the front page off and every afternoon when I get home from school or from running training I'd sit there and cry and I'd be like why the fuck did he do that? Because he, you know, he'd just been signed with the Gold Coast Titans. He was, you know, a national champion, 100 and 200 meter run. I was like, he's got everything that I was aspiring to get and still life, you know, he, he took his life. Yeah, that didn't matter. The stuff on the outside just doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. And I, I never got to talk about it. Or I never got any guidance around how that worked. And, you know, obviously I learned that and then my brother went through his stuff and I still didn't even connect the two together. I just kept, going on saying, hard, hard now, mate, you'll be right, like, carry on. And then, you know, three years ago when another mate took his life, I was speaking to him and uh, he took his life and I was speaking to him two weeks before and I never asked good enough questions for him to feel like he can, could, could confide in me. Mm, yeah. I didn't know how to communicate well. I didn't know how to build rapport. I didn't know how to do that well. I just assumed, you know, when they say, oh, I'm good, mate, that was it. Yeah. But also... And as I'm sure you've accepted, like also not your fault. And they they also weren't able to connect or share. And, and the main problem was them them feeling isolated and them not not feeling comfortable with expressing their their true feelings. Like it's you know it's not you. It's 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 their own fears as well. Yeah, exactly. Which is it's sad because we we should like I think about the generations before us. I'm like man, it would have been hard to go through and not be able to express what you're really feeling because I'm in a fortunate position where I do share what I'm going through. Yeah. And there's still a lot of men out there who don't. And fuck, it must be hard. Like carrying that around and not just having someone to turn to and go, hey, I'm feeling shit and I don't want any, I don't want you to judge me. I don't want you to give me any advice. I just feel like dumping this and unloading it. You know, I just want to talk. And not getting called a pussy. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, because I'm not like, it's normal. Yeah, well, it's it's. I think we need to shift the mentality away from it being weak to it being actually a, a sign of strength to admit to that stuff and and actually want to deal with it rather than run from it by trying to numb yourself out. Exactly, and people, I find it so empowering. Like I had a, a guy on the phone last night who was broke broke down crying. For me, I was like, mate, you're a fucking incredible human because you haven't met me. Like you've spoken to me for twenty minutes, and here you are 
just being your authentic self and allowing yourself to feel what you need to feel at the moment because men don't do that. Like a lot of men, stereotypically, we don't do that. That's like you said, it's being a pussy or whatever. But at, and if we see ourselves crying, it's like, no, I'm weak. And we judge ourselves for it rather than going, the moment I just feel like crying and fuck, let's enjoy that for the moment because it feels really good. Mm. Yeah, and I had a close friend die by suicide this year, uh, which is a big part of the motivation for doing this podcast. And for me, that just um, sort of snapped me out of, uh, you know, a, a life to which to that point hadn't had any tragedy like that and just made things, showed me how serious life can be and, and how brutal and sort of really highlighted the need to take care of my own health more and, and also my friends. Did that happen to you? Definitely, definitely. I think, yeah, we feel like we're invincible and, mm. you know, I think we also feel like we're tough enough to just carry on with everything but like, when you're, you're not feeling good, you're not, and it's hard to, like, I never understand what people are going through. I can relate in some aspects, but everyone's experience is completely unique, I would say. So, yeah, only they truly understand. Yeah. And it, it's definitely the worst thing that they're ever going through in that moment. So, for me, literally being able to talk to someone and not feel judged was such an incredible feeling. And, you know, over the years, as I've shared more and more, about my thought patterns and what I experienced and stuff like that, I felt like this. No, I felt like I was walking around in a twenty kilo weight vest nonstop, and it was tiring, and it just slowly peeled off the layers. And I, feel, which you probably, which you probably already were anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, to be fair, I was. But it just, it just feel. I feel so light now, and I'm not saying my life's perfect, and I don't have negative thoughts and down days. Like I still have all of that, and that's part of life. But I, I have a better awareness around why that might be happening, or know what I can do to get myself back in in more of a positive state because I think you know mental health and mental well-being just like physical health and physical well-being there are some definitely some pillars you can implement into your daily or weekly routine to give yourself the best shot to show up in that positive positive manner in those ways how do we make sharing our feelings and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable sometimes and you know just telling the truth how do we make that cool We've got to go first. I think, you know, it's easy to just keep posting. There's a lot of awareness campaigns and I think they're phenomenal. Like the awareness around mental health, especially over the last five years, has been incredible. Like I think it started a lot of conversations, but I think my, in my opinion, it's like we've got to be the example. So I can't expect you to share what you're going through if I don't first share what I'm going through. And I've found because I do share what I'm going through, more people turn to me and go, oh man, I feel like I can connect and resonate with you. And know now let me tell you my story and all of a sudden you know they're getting the opportunity to talk because i went first mm. i think if you know anyone who listens to this or people in your uh, environment if they just go hey you know i i have the courage to share then i'm going to go first and i know people in my in my circle may because i had a had a mate who um really successful lawyer and he someone he looked up to and never thought he would have had a, had a challenge in the world. He was sharing how he was doing some work with me and then this massive barrister that made and just started unloading this whole thing and he's just like, and he came back to me, he's like, mate, just because I shared a little bit of it about how I'm trying to improve myself, it gave him permission to just unload all this stuff on me and mm. I've known him for 25 years and he'd never once opened up like that before. Yeah, and I guess you are giving people permission to do the same. Exactly. I think that's, that's all people... A lot of people really need that because they don't, you know, 
people don't like to stand out or, you know, they don't like to burden people. But if you do it first, it almost, yeah, it opens that communication gateway for people to go, okay, well, this conversation's allowed here. Yeah, and that's the only way we're going to be able to have real conversations. But you've got to be brave enough to say, yeah, I know who I am. I'm confident in that. And, not, you know, you can take it any way you want, but this is legitimately how I'm feeling and how I see things. And here it is. And if we have that attitude, then people see that. And, you know, if they look up to you in some respect, then they'll give you the same back. Exactly. And to be okay with, it's like, if I'm feeling sad, it doesn't mean I'm fucking broken. Or if I feel anxious yeah, or depressed. It means you're human. Just human. Yeah. Yeah. I'm human and I'm, I'm dealing with it. Like having this conversation with you makes me feel better. Having the conversation with anyone makes us feel better. Yeah. The moment we acknowledge it, we're like, awesome. I'm moving in the right direction. And we're so obsessed with the physical form. And like, obviously, you're a fitness trainer and the actual physique itself and your physical health is a, a big part of it and certainly a very important part of the puzzle. But like, imagine if all the fitness influencers started telling their followers that mental health is just as important. Like, imagine the impact that that would have on impressionable young men, especially, you know, if all these guys they see that are, you know, shredded to pieces and how they want to look actually said, hey, your mind's just as important. It'd be incredible because the reach that everyone's got now is phenomenal. Imagine if someone designed a platform like Instagram, but it was for mental health. Like, I guess maybe it's Twitter or something. I don't, I don't actually <laughs> know. Where you could speak your mind and share what it's gone through. And it was cool to... Now, people love checking out people's physique or the crazy workouts they're doing, but imagine if people were checking out the crazy shit that people are doing to get their mental health well. Yeah, well, do no, you think like there's some progress towards that area? I mean, there are people starting to come out, you know, like yourself, you know, someone with a body like that based on the stereotype, there'd be a lot of people who would assume that, you know, and I know you've struggled with being stereotyped in the past and uh, they'd say, oh, well, that guy's got to be a bonehead. Because yeah. look at his physique, you know, that's just that's yep. just how it's judged because also the society thinks, oh, well, no one's got it all. Like if you if you obsess over your body to that extent, it must mean that you don't have much else to give, um, which totally exactly. isn't the truth, but it's something that you've got to work against. 100%. And even, yeah, I used to be that guy who judged bodybuilders and stuff like that, but now I respect their commitment and you know, there's a lot of great personality traits that you can take from that, but it's also you can't judge a book by its cover. Like there are so many incredible people who we write off or, you know, just off face value who could give you that one thing you need to learn that could completely shift your life. Mm. But yeah, imagine if guys like with that, with massive followings like Calum Von Moger or um, Rob Riches or like Jeff Seed, those big fitness personalities that millions of young guys look up to, you know, rather than, um, I'm not saying they all just do this, but rather than just fight, posting videos of them like going out and having people stare at their physiques and flexing and saying you myron if they actually yeah. put out posts talking about their mental health and working on their mind and the struggles that they've been through like i reckon people would resonate that would resonate with people probably even more and just be such a good way of showing people that yeah it's got to be the whole package it's got to be body mind and spirit to like really be happy and really help people and just like make a difference Hundred percent. Yeah, I don't believe you can truly reach that without having that that balanced approach. If it's like I was saying before, if you just have the financial success and everything else goes by the wayside, are you really happy? And are you really going to be where you want to be? Probably not. But it's because it's being put up on a pedestal, just like the fitness is at the moment and the physique. You know, we're going to sacrifice a lot of stuff if we purely focus on that. But I guess a, a key part of making it cool is, you know, in the health space, it's probably having that 
like the body and the physical side of it down pat as well. And I suppose that's why you can be so influential is because people will, will, you know, you'll get people's attention for that reason. But then if you can dig deeper and say, well, all this stuff's really important too, then that's an important part of leading by example and, and making it a whole package rather than just, you know, another of the million photos of someone with a ridiculous body that floods Instagram. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just showing people real life. Um, so how's your self-talk changed from when you were 21 to now? Mate, it's dramatically different. I think I'm so, I'm not going to say I'm nailing it 100% of the time, but even like, you know, every day I'm like, I can, whatever my focus is for the day, I, I'm certain, like I've just got a lot more certainty in my life. So whenever I think about training or um, having conversations or doing podcasts or what, whatever it is, I'm just certain that I can get the result. Like I trust that even if I don't know it, I'm going to be able to, get to where I want to go. Like I just have that burning belief. And I think, you know, I used to have that with sport, but not in any other aspect of my life. So now I think it's definitely a lot better. So, you know, I'm definitely confident in myself. I believe, you know, I'm a good person. I'm really committed to what I want to do and I'm, you know, obsessed with it essentially. Whereas back in the day, uh, my self-talk was shit. Like when I'd wake up from a bender, I'd be like, why the fuck do you keep doing this? Like you're a piece of shit. Or if I cheated on my missus, it was the same thing or I'd got in trouble. I'm just like, you're a scumbag. Like that's how I spoke to myself. And ultimately that's what led me to do the, do the things that I did because my self-talk and my self-worth was terrible. Yeah. Like, I would never have spoken to anyone the way I spoke to myself. Mm. And then that feeds that, that negative cycle. hundred percent. Like it was just, it was almost like giving myself validation for why I did the stupid things that I did. Right? Whereas now I sort of try to validate why I'm doing the good things that I do. So how do you get to that that point that you're at now? Is it through doing the work and actually showing yourself the evidence that you know you can have that positive impact and you went after something that you wanted and you achieved it and you did that time and time again? Is that how you got to the point where you obviously respect yourself now? Yes, definitely. It was just showing up and being okay to fail, like I think that's one of the, the most important things. And I guess also fear of being seen. Like I didn't want to be seen as anyone apart from the guy who was successful. But when I started sharing my journey on Instagram, like I shared everything and I got ridiculed. I got a Facebook page made about me, how I couldn't change and I was full of shit and all that sort of stuff. But I was just like, you know what, fuck it. I'm excited. I'm just going to keep sharing what I'm learning, how I'm growing. And I eventually got to a point where I don't I, – don't get me wrong, I still – still don't like being criticized and I still don't like being judged, but I know that that's just, that that's always going to happen. Right. So I just want to keep showing up as, as my best self and sharing the things that I'm learning because through that process, I've become more comfortable in who I am because every time someone's ridiculed me, it's given me an opportunity to take a look at myself. Whereas in the past I would have been like, fuck, I would have you know been aggressive or I would have got on some drugs or something to avoid that sort of pain. Whereas now I'm like, right, I will, is there any, um, truth to behind what they're saying and if i you know look at look at that and go no they're just you know coming from this place or that place i'd carry on but at least i took a bit bit of time to self-reflect yeah yeah i get that and what brings you the most joy now i think knowing that i'm at a place of of balance and i'm that that i'm in control like everything i've got an amazing relationship i've I've got a you know a, a business that i love and that's I'm obsessed with and life's just really good. So I think that that brings me joy that I've got my life back on track and I have you know, great, great people in my life. And it's just because I've put in the work essentially. 
Mm. What's that done for your temperament? Do you feel like you're a lot sort of calmer and quieter? Yeah, way calmer. Like I'm just people when they meet me and then they, they hear about my story, they're like, I can't imagine you being aggressive or violent or anything like that. I'm like, yeah, that's it doesn't even go through my mind anymore. I just feel so peaceful because I just love observing and I just I think I'm at a place where I just love learning and I'll act in a way that I feel is going to benefit myself or someone else. Like it's, it's always got to be progressive. I'm not sitting, sitting there to sort of be negative or just dabble in chit-chat, if that makes sense. Yeah, do you think that aggression comes from a sense of insecurity and feeling like you always have to prove yourself? Definitely does. Definitely does. Do you think it's possible to be too disciplined and too hard on yourself though? With all this stuff, you know, uh, making such an impact and keeping yourself so accountable, is it possible that that goes too far or do you reckon that doesn't exist? Depends on the, I, I, I feel it could definitely. I, I also feel it depends on what you want. I, I was thinking about it because I had someone questioning me yesterday with just how disciplined and obsessed I am with, with what I'm doing. But then I also think, and I'm not comparing myself to Elon Musk, but I'm like, that guy's pretty fucking obsessed. And that guy would be disciplined to achieve the things that he's achieving. Now, do I want to achieve? And the question is, when you look at that, it's like, what do we as an individual want to achieve and how obsessed and disciplined do we need to be in order to achieve those goals? Now, for myself, I don't want to be like, I'm honest with myself. Like, I want to keep good relationships. I want to keep good balance. I want to keep flexibility in my life. So there was a point where I was like, I have to be so rigid and structured, but now I'm a bit more lenient because I'm like, I still need to enjoy the process. And yeah. Does it, yeah, so I think um, that's dependent upon, I guess, how big someone's vision is or how big their goals are. Mm. What's your girlfriend done for your life? Like, do you feel like that relationship gave you a reason to be the best version of yourself? 100%, definitely, because I know how I showed up for, for p- partners in the past. I was a shit human and I def- you know, they didn't deserve to be treated the way that I treated them. And I think, you know... I just want to be the best partner that I that I can be for them because they deserve. That's how they deserve me to show up, and I think it also gives me purpose to make sure that you know I'm fulfilling that that version of myself to make sure that they're feeling you know they get all their their values and needs met as well. So definitely gave me that that new lease and that second chance. That's for sure. And what about in terms of you know helping you not fly off the rails and not feel like you had to go out and get pissed and do silly things do you think that the relationship is also part of that definitely yeah a hundred percent because it was it was uh it was she was definitely someone i could cling and i wouldn't say that, like <laughs> cling to her but it was all it was like a safety blanket for me to go i don't need to go out i can stay at home and you know just chill out and i want to get to you know in the early stages i like, get to know her and rebuild myself in that process i didn't feel the need to you know go out chasing women and mm. um with the boys like it was just a fresh start it was almost like i had an excuse as to why i didn't need to go out and get in those environments which weren't serving me well yeah you've got to have a place to be you've got to you got to be yeah. somewhere and if you decide i'm not going to be doing that anymore then you you got to do it something else because you you can't just be staring at the wall <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly yeah. you're gonna have sort of things going on in your life uh, and tell us about the the man that can obviously that's evolved a lot in the last few years it's a podcast, but it's also, you know, it's a project and it's sort of a movement and now you're doing workshops and things like that too. So how's that evolved and where's it at now? Yeah, it's been, especially the last nine months have been huge um, for the Men at Camp project. It was, uh, so I started the podcast 2017. It was just a way to 
sort of share. And then I just started interviewing a few mates along the way about their sort of journeys with mental health and emotional health and just life in general. Uh, and then it was uh, this time last year when I was in Europe, I was walking and I was just like, what's the one thing I needed six years ago that would have drastically changed my life or stopped me going down that slope? And it was just an environment from men of all walks of life. Because like I mentioned earlier, I was like the lawyer and all those guys were out of reach for me and I didn't know how to connect with them to get advice or for them to give me feedback. Yeah, uh, That's when I was like, a men's circle would be unreal because we can get all those kinds of people in one one place, which we do. Uh, and then uh, as a result of that, you know, men have been having a, a mad experience. So we've had, uh, I think it's 232 different men come through this year wow. just from our Brisbane. And then we uh, started in Toowoomba as well. And what are they doing? And what are they doing in those um, circles? Just literally communicating, sharing challenges. If they've had lived experience that may be able to offer value or perspective to someone else, they'll share that. But that's literally what it, what it's been. So next year we're changing that. We're going to definitely keep that aspect of it, but we're going to do a little bit more workshopping so men can get some perspective shifts and actually do a little bit of work and challenge their beliefs a little bit. How, how are you going to do that? Just in the, in the work circle. So depending on what comes up for a man, like I'll be asking them questions and then, you know, if, if I feel I can help them have a sort of a breakthrough in some aspect, I'll ask them if they're okay if we, we do a little bit of workshopping and I'll pre-frame that at the start just so people are aware it may come up. And if they're good to go with that, we'll, we'll go with that. There's activities and stuff involved in that as well? It'll just be whatever, whatever, whatever I feel will help them come to the realization that they may be searching for to get them to take sort of a positive step in the right direction. Because for a lot of men, you know, they might be in a relationship that they don't want to be in or um, they're not communicating well with themselves. They've got some bad habits. And there's the reason why they aren't taking action on changing that is there's some kind of fear, whether it's fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of even success or whatever it is. And fear is what's holding a lot of men back. Mm. So if I can help them you know, come to the realization that it's not that fucking bad, that they can take that step instantly and start working towards changing that, then that's what I want to do. That's why we started. So next February is when we launched the first foundations workshop, which is to help men really take ownership of their shit and start taking control of their life. because. The men's circles are incredible and it's so powerful and it's really something I believe everyone should experience, definitely men. But the moment that they, we then go, okay, well, if you're ready to take that next step and really start taking ownership and putting some pillars in place to show up as your best self and take that next step in developing you, then this is the place to come. And then from that, we then have the breakthrough experiences where, whoop, which is where we uh, want to help them break through all their limiting beliefs and those negative emotions that they have, like the fear of failure and Know, whatever beliefs that they made up themselves, like I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough and stuff like that and really help them take back that masculine energy that a lot of men have lost along the way. And what are you seeing this do for guys, guys that come to you for help and want to be part of these circles and, and learn from you? What kind of reactions are you getting from them and how are you seeing them change their lives? It's giving them control back. It's giving them that belief that they can be more than who they're currently showing up to be. Like their whole belief system around who they are as a man is not serving them. That's why they come to me. In the moment that they can have those breakthroughs, they take ownership, but they also realize what they, well, I guess they find their purpose again. They know how to go about getting it. It gives them certainty in their life. It gives them certainty around who they want to hang out with, what decisions are going to serve them best, what's going to get them to where they want to be, who, you know, how to show up as a best self for them, partner, if they're a father, all those aspects. Whereas at the moment, so many men are just walking through the motions and they, 
now are resenting a lot of shit in their life. They're not hanging out with people who are improving their life. They're not making decisions that are serving them or they're struggling to even make decisions. So they're just stuck going through the motions. So the moment that they get that certainty back is the moment that they can start showing up as their true authentic self and be the man that they need to be to get the results that they want from their life. And how much does it take? I mean, is it is it simple enough to sort of make those changes? Can it be just like a few sessions or, you know, someone to listen and coming and being part of a group? Or does it have to be some massive ordeal for, you know, men to be able to make a change? I think it's it, dependent upon the individual, but I, I believe so many men just even from with, who don't even do workshops with me or haven't done one-on-one coaching get so much value from just even coming to a men's circle where they can hear other men openly communicate because they learn to ask better questions whatever the topic of conversation that's going on, they can relate it to some experiences in their own life and it just helps them start thinking because we're taught to uh, think a certain way and the moment that we uh, start thinking a little bit differently, we can create different results in our life. And where do you want to take this long term? Like um, I would think that you want to try and positively impact as many people as you can. Do you think we can get to a point where it's the norm for men to go to these kinds of things You know, before they have some sort of disaster that leads them to think that they need help? Hundred percent. I think I thought we were thinking about it the other day. How cool would it be if instead, you know, tradies have toolbox talks, uh, you know, before they start work for the day? Imagine if they're having a little men's circle and checking in with each other, you know, once a week or once a once a month, where they were doing that on the job site, or you know, you have it in every business where people check in and they, you know, builds better rapport, better bonding between people. And I think you know my my goal and the the mission with uh, the man that can project over the next two three years is to become. I, you know, I had my ego was driving. I need to be world class and Australia wide. But my my goal is just to really do an incredible job with people around Southeast Queensland. So you know, Toowoomba, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast, Brisbane. Then we start hitting Miles, Gundawindi, Roma, Chinchilla, all those country towns that also get left out because I want to really help that that space. And if I can do a an amazing job there, like that for me is 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 the goal. Like I, I definitely have an ego that says to myself, mate, let's go to Melbourne and let's do all that definitely but I feel I'll, I'll be doing an incredible job if over the next five years I can have 21,000 men that's you know that's just what I've worked off would be su- uh, hugely impactful for the southeast Queensland region yeah and then you're you're planting the seed and that flows on from there and then you got to think if you can make that change you know for men especially while they're still young you're going to definitely help the next generation as well like those kids are going to be raised with probably better values they're going to stand them in better stead to treat the women in their lives well and the flow and effects are just way bigger than you could sort of imagine exactly the the ripple effect is exciting yeah fantastic well i love the work that you're doing man and i think it's so cool that you know you've gone from your own training to having sort of a, an awakening and realizing the importance of mental health to trying to share with that with people as much as you can doing the podcast and then turning that into the the circles and the workshops and you know, it's, it inspires me to sort of see where I might be able to take what I'm doing. And I just think, you know, men like you living the way that you do and leading by example is just absolutely what we need to encourage other men to be accountable and, and, and step up and, and do the same thing. I really appreciate it. I mean, I love the work that you're doing. And to be honest, you are the best podcast host, guest I've, I've been on so far. You ask incredible questions and yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure. Brilliant. Thanks for your time, Legend. Have a great day. If you got something out of this episode, please leave a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow the show so we can keep bringing you the content that matters. 
If you want to stay up to date with what we're doing and get involved, get onto the Youngblood Podcast community Facebook group and follow Youngblood Podcast on Instagram. And if you're keen to get in touch with me, email youngbloodpodcast, all one word, at hotmail.com. This podcast was produced by the talented Rory Noak at Podbooth. You can check them out at podbooth.com.au. This is Youngblood. Thanks for joining us. Catch you next time.